All right, people, we are here. It is the second weekend of October, the second installment in our Shocktober series. And if you guys are wondering, if you, if all of you one listeners slash watchers are wondering why I look like a traditional stereotypical podcast bro, that is because I am in my rage out mode officially because I just sat through one of the most tedious and annoying film festival experiences I've ever sat through. It was at New York Film Festival 61, which in the past I have greatly enjoyed. This is the same festival where I saw Uncut Gems, Red Rocket, Come On, Come On. I've usually had a really good time here this year. I kind of should have known when buying the tickets this year was such a headache and I didn't even get to see half the movies that I wanted to this year. I'm not trying to start off on a negative note, but well, you know, certain experiences dictated. We'll get to it once we get to the movies that I unfortunately had to sit through. But I'm joined once again by Kristen, one half of the MNK movie production, soon to be married. AKA Miss Filmingo. So, Kristen, my only question is when you finally get married, are you going to change it to Mrs. Filmingo or is it going to stay Miss Filmingo? It's got to stay Miss Filmingo. I got to keep it on brand, but okay. uh, feel free to, to call sure. me whatever. Well, I, I, listen, I just wanted to be, listen, I just wanted to make sure that you weren't, you know, sacrificing your your, your, no. your brand that you've had for so long. No, you know? I've had that brand for so long, but that doesn't mean Dylan, my wonderful fiance, hello, Dylan, if you're watching, uh, that doesn't mean he'll be the Mr. Filmingo. So, uh, that's true. No, he's got to come up with his own thing. He's no, got to come up with his own thing if he joins us. Yeah. I mean, He'll just be targeted related to Brandon Sanderson, probably of with course. his <laughs> of course, Absolutely. thing, but as, as as he should be, as he should be. Yeah. So we're here to talk about, you know, so uh what's it called? We have both had a little bit of festival experiences. You know, I just got back from the Euro Film Festival. You are currently working for Montclair Film Festival again. Uh for what is this the second, third year in a row now that you've been doing it? I've haven't I've worked for them a couple times, but going to the film festival, I've been going there for like the last seven years since I was going in like my college roots so that was about maybe seven years ago like wow. i'm thinking about it and yeah, they have a good lineup a long time not even ago. 2016 oh my god was it no 15 oh wow eight years ago oh man that's the year i, graduated I was just high talking oh, about man. my oh, age man. i'm really going back we're I was really just talking back. about my age stuff, like when we were going back, because we did my podcast just did a Jennifer Lawrence episode, and I was looking back at all the films she had done from like 2012 and like 20, uh, 2013, and I was like, oh my god, I was like a junior in high school! Man, bring it back memories here. Yeah, we're also going to be talking about a couple of other Netflix things that dropped recently that have maybe given us hope that Netflix might actually still be capable of creating some good things, that of course being Fair Play and Mike Flanagan's brand new show, The Fall of the House of Usher, all of that and more on tonight's latest installment of Shocktober, only on the Talking TV Podcast. Stay tuned. What's going on, people? Happy Sunday night. Go, uh, what's it called? We are in the second week of October, second week of Shocktober. If you're in New York like I am, that means the costumes have already started to come out. So we are fully into spooky season. You know, I know everyone in our community is doing their 31 days of horror movie watching. It's been very entertaining keeping track of Luke and Max specifically, see what they've been watching. Uh, Mac, I'm surprised, is not doing a Saw and Final Destination marathon for like the 18th times. Uh, but, uh, exactly you know listen listen every time mac puts out a new intro for his youtube channel on tiktok it's usually the most entertaining thing that i see on tiktok he's good day. at creating those intro videos he, he can really make is. a little good like one using those memes so yeah, he really he really is quite good at it but kristen it's good to have you back we've had we've been seeing you quite frequently it's been pretty nice recently you know we had you on the 200 podcast we had you on for dumb money and now we're back out to talk about some festival movies man i mean kristen so but before we even get into that, I got to know, like, so what's been your experience with film festivals just in general? Because I will admit, as somebody who loves movies as much as I do, my experience with festivals has been probably a lot more lacking than it should be. I've really only gone to a couple of them. It's really exclusively been confined to New York, Tribeca, and New York Film Festival. But after a year in which I would say that I had a significantly better and more enjoyable time at Tribeca than I did at New York Film Festival, there may be other extenuating okay. circumstances around it that may have prevented me from having uh, the mo the most enjoyable time that I possibly could have. But I wanted to know, like, just in general, what's been your experience with film festivals? Because I often find that certain films at film festivals, not all, but certain of them can be ruined by the hype. 
Other ones, though, I will say I very much enjoyed. I usually am a big fan of movies that come out of Sundance. You know, I was obviously one of the movies that we're about to talk about tonight. Netflix is fair play. I uh, hit it big. I believe won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance this past year. I was also a big fan of Gerard Carmichael's uh, On the Count of Three, which was uh, premiered at Sundance in 2021 and uh, made my top five of last year, 2022. But you've worked at, you've been going to Montclair Film Festival for the last couple of years. I just wanted to know, like, what your overall general experience is with festivals. Well, not just Montclair. Um, Montclair was my first film festival uh, ever, but I've gotten to take part in many different festivals, mostly virtually, and that's thanks to the pandemic and having a wider access since we had a time period where you really couldn't go to film festivals. And because of that, I have to say that's when my film palette of going like attending film festivals expanded. So like in 2020 and 2021, it was really when it that really took off for me. And I got to attend like AFI virtually. I got to attend Sundance virtually. I got to attend the uh this year I got to attend the Boston Underground Film Festival virtually. And some of this was through press. I write for a wonderful website called Film Fest Report. So shout out to Film Fest Report. And I've gotten to interview so many wonderful filmmakers and actors over the last, I want to say, year and a half, maybe two, like getting to talk about projects that, you know, that do get a distributor or don't. And some of them, you know, may not see a release at all. So it's really cool. And I would have to say... I never been to or participated in anything from New York Film Fest. So um, it's the goal one day, but I love, love attending and being part of film festivals because uh, you get to see the most unique things. Even like what you just said, even the most hyped things, you know, aren't, you know, they come down like even though I do get to see like some really incredible stuff like at Mockler Film, I got to see Red Rocket. Um, my disappointment was kind of with uh, French Dispatch once that came back in 2021. So, um, not 2020. Is it 2021? Yeah. French yeah, Dispatch 2021, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's I had supposed a brain to be 2020, but. But I had a brain fart for me, excuse me. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, like, interesting to see, you know, because then you're, like, expanding yourself to, like, you know, new artists and stuff. So uh, I'm just... I'm just shit celebrating my love for film festivals. I'm happy you got to attend, even though you had pretty much a lackluster experience this year, I must say, from what yeah. we've had conversations about. Yeah, it's just that I, I I obviously know that, like, going in, you know, there's such high expectations, and New York Film Festival is obviously different from something that's a little bit smaller and about getting, like, more widespread well-known films out there. New York Film Festival, it, it's it's like Toronto. It's become a showcase for movies that will inevitably go on to win Oscars, you know, which in some years, depending on it. Right. And so basically what it comes down to is it lives and dies by the Oscar slate. And if the Oscar slate is good, then it's a joy. But if the Oscar slate is not as good, then it can be a little bit of a joy. Now, I will preface by saying this, that a lot of the movies that I have seen, I'm I'm not actually sure in hindsight how many Oscars they're going to be nominated for. Like just 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 a preface, I was able to see May December from Todd Haynes, Ferrari from Michael Mann, and Priscilla from uh, Sofia Coppola there, and those are all films from directors that have not really gotten as much acclaim in the past as one would be led to believe. Obviously, the big one for Sophia is Lost in Translation, which won her her original screenplay Oscar and got and almost got Bill Murray a Best Actor nomination. But other than that, our films have gotten. Little to no nominations. Michael Mann, the most amount of nominations he's gotten is for his films um, The Insider and Ali. Other than that, little to none of his films have ever been nominated. And as for uh, as for Todd Haynes, the last movie of his that really made a big say, like two out of his ten films he's directed. It's been um, uh, what's called Far From Heaven in 2002. And um and uh and Carol 2015. Yeah, Carol just got a huge got Kate Blanchett and nomination. So it's like I, I I guess the best thing that I can say just about the movies that I saw this year is they're all really good actor showcases. Like I can't say aside from one, which I'll get into in a little bit, that any of the actors that I saw in these movies they really gave a bad performance. But like I guess just I've evolved in my tastes to the point where I need a little bit more for my festival movies than just actor showcases. Or I maybe to- is it because of the filmmakers you have seen? Because, you know, Sophia and uh, Michael Mann and Todd Haynes, you know, they have a signature style. Maybe is it because 
are you just getting tired of their style and well, you're looking I'll for something this. like different? I'll admit this, that Todd Haynes, I will say first and foremost, I just, I haven't seen that many of his movies. So okay. I will admit his style is probably one that I'm still getting used to, but just it, it, like my, my majority of my criticism, which we'll get into just came down to the fact that I felt like everything that was actually interesting about that story. And it was an interesting story kind of felt like got left off the page and it just felt like there was a certain point where I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? Like, what's the purpose? Where's the tension? I just, I couldn't find it. You know, as for Michael Mann and Sofia Coppola, again, Coppola, another one where, again, I've only seen a few of his movie of her movies. I've seen a uh, Lost in Translation. I saw her 2020 film On the Rocks. And as far as the rest I of the movies, On the Rocks, too. On the Rocks, I really enjoyed. But it just seems like the rest of her movies, premise-wise, I don't know if they're exactly my cup of tea. You know, movies like Marie Antoinette. Movies like some somewhere seems like something that I, I mean. Really like. I have to say, as a huge Sofia Coppola fan, like definitely like Marie Antoinette is like definitely like on the low rankings and Beguiled. Like a lot of her period yeah. pieces are not as like I think to me like are not as appealing as her like other films like Bling and Ring, if that's the like case, other stuff I'm, like that. And if that's the case, I'm gonna be really interested in your thoughts when you eventually see Priscilla. Because I am dying to see Priscilla because. Right. It just looks incredible. And the casting of a Jacob Elordi, I'm right. so curious to hear your thoughts about that. But, but I mean, so, but so the one that I'm torn on, so those two I'm pretty dead set on. The one that I'm kind of torn on is Ferrari because this is Michael Mann we're talking about. Now, I've mm -hmm. seen, thanks to the re listening and recapping of the Rewatchables podcast, I've seen almost a majority of Michael Mann's movies. There's only four that I haven't seen. I haven't seen The Keep, which is the movie that he did in between Thief and Last of the Mohicans. I haven't seen Public I haven't Enemies. Seen I haven't seen okay. Black Hat, the movie that. Oh, no. People have like seriously come around on it, being like, "Oh, this movie's great," and I have not seen Ali. Actually, surprisingly enough, with Will Smith and okay, Jamie Foxx, I've not seen that. But I've seen all the rest of his movies, and every single movie that I've seen of his, I've loved. I watched back to back Thief and Manhunter last year before I actually moved down here to uh, the city, and I loved every single minute of of both of those movies. They were both spectacular. And so, Ferrari was a movie that I felt like just. It felt like it was a co course correction of Ford vs. Ferrari, which is a movie that I didn't really like as much. Yeah, like Ford vs. Ferrari. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I really wasn't. I really, really wasn't. Um, what's it called? You know, it's Adam Driver. You know, the, the, the cinematography is some of the most beautiful I've seen in the world. The car racing sequences are incredible, but just like, it just felt muted, essentially. And like, I'll, I'll save okay. my thoughts for each specific movie as we get into more of it. But I guess just kind of overall, when this is the same festival that I saw movies like Uncut Gems, like Red Rocket, which are two of my absolute favorite movies of the last five years, you know? Yes, and, I can and, agree again, with that. You know, I, I will preface it by piece. saying I missed Hitman. I missed Poor Things. I missed Boy and the Heron, which are all movies that I feel like I would have really, really significantly loved. I mean, to, not, to be fair, Hitman's coming to Netflix, so we still got some time before yeah, award well, season. Uh, so. that, that's a whole <laughs> can of worms that I'm going to get into once we cover the rest of the Netflix stuff. But yeah, I just, I got to say that, like, my reactions overall, the fact that, like, of all three movies that I saw, it was kind of 0 for 3. I don't know. There was just something kind of distressing about that right. to me. And and I and I texted you a little bit about this as well, which is that I'm like, weirdly enough, I feel like the problem is not with the actual filmmaking itself. I feel like it's like so many other things. It's with the types of movies that are being made and that are being celebrated at, for these festivals. It's that they are... We've obviously complained for years about awards caliber movies kind of only really mm -hmm. rewarding one kind of a movie. But now it feels like it's gotten to a point where it's not only become unbearable, but it's almost become comedic how predictable some of these movies end up being. Yeah. You know, like, I'm sorry, but like a movie like Women Talking, you know, we've made jokes for years about how movies like that only seem to get made to win Oscars. And obviously, again, go back to the Tropic Thunder example as far as like, you know, that them ripping movies like that to shreds and parodies. But now it feels like it's come back around and the parody has become like so many other things. The parody has become reality. Right. And when that happens, it's just it's very distressing for someone like me who is who goes to these types of events to strive for originality, to strive to see something new, to be impressed, to be right. given more reasons to be invested in the art of cinema. And when I'm let down like this, especially from people who I'm told constantly are incredible filmmakers. Right. I, it makes me feel like I'm I'm in this for the wrong reasons, you know? Yeah. And I will say, I, I think I'm kind of questioning this now is that, we're, I love going to like film festivals like this for fun to see something like what you just said, creative. 
are we looking now over like style over the substance of material that they are getting? Cause I feel like it's possible, you know, there's like some check marks in Ferrari when I was like watching the trailer, it just like, looks like, okay, they got the perfect actor, you know, Adam driver and Penelope Cruz is in there. Then they had the great cinematography, you know, Michael Mann returning after like a hiatus, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like all these little check marks to be like, all right. And then neon's like, all right, we're good. We got the rights. Let's put yeah. it out in theaters and let's get that Oscar. And then yeah. it's like, is it good? We got to find out. We got to put yeah, it on exactly. all these film festivals and, to get and, that hype. And 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 to, and to add to that point even further, I'm just like, yeah, it, it, it when it, it's yet another instance of like, wow, I never thought I would say this about awards caliber movies, but it feels like it's all style, no substance, because all of these movies are so visually beautiful and so visually appealing and so thrilling, but at the same time, they feel so flat. And empty. And, and that's what could happen. I feel like we see sometimes from time to time. And that's what I feel like kind of like now. And I hate to bring this up because I know this movie was, is going going to be released now. And in it's Taika Waititi's new upcoming Next film. Next wins. Yeah. Yes. And that film now, it had like all the little perfect brackets. You know, Taika Waititi, great director. Uh, Michael Fassbender, great director, you know, good cinematography, you know, good soundtrack, what's being, you know, considered. And then it's like, you know, it's getting dumped on. And then it's like, you know, how is it going to compete with now with the other award stuff? Like, that's like questioning, making me question now, even if I don't even go to these film festivals as a theater person, go or cinephile, do I spend my money on this now? You know, do I invest my time in this now? Exactly. And like, so we're, we're going to be talking about next goal wins in a couple of weeks, obviously when it gets released to the public, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is. My biggest worry is that we go to these things because we are lovers of film first. And it feels like now it's almost become like, it's become like its own exclusive little club. And, and I don't, and, and the reason why I'm so against that is because to me, at the end of the day, cinema is supposed to be for everybody. Film is supposed to be for everybody. And I don't, and I am constantly trying to fight against the idea of, I know I've talked about this idea of animation, not being taken seriously and only being treated as being for kids for years, largely because of Disney. But I, but I'm start, but I want to start putting forward another movement to try and get behind in order to try and generate buzz, which is that stop making movies that are just to satisfy the artists, you know, I, I, I like it, it frustrates me beyond belief when it feels like the only types of movies that we get now are movies that are made to win Oscars or movies that are made to be giant blockbusters and popcorn epics. And it feels like we have no movies that can be both, you know, if anything. I mm-hmm. guess that's one of the reasons why I was so hard praising the creator because the creator is something that. Five to six years ago, we were getting so many of those types of movies, and now we're lucky if we get one of those types of movies, you know? And I think it's also the other troubling piece of this as well, and again, this is something that pretty much all of Hollywood has finally become aware of with with the strikes and everything is the great Netflix correction, but the fact that a movie like Fair Play, which killed its Sundance, is probably one of the best movies of the year, one of the most engaging, one of the most thrilling movies of the year, when that movie drops directly to Netflix without even so much as like a pin drop, in the culture, but it's easily better than anything I saw at the widely publicized and advertised yeah. film festival that is only to the to the festival community. Another example, a perfect example, when a movie like Tetris, which five years ago would have been another social network situation, and now gets dropped directly to Apple. I still don't know anybody outside of us that's seen it, you know? It's it's shit mm-hmm. like that that's got me worried about about the state of movies, you know. And and the, mm-hmm. the the one saving grace that I can say is that after years of people finally realizing that Netflix is pro- possibly the worst thing that's happened to cinema ever, that people are finally starting to wake up to it and finally starting to realize, you know, Netflix is obviously not going away anytime soon. But at the very least, mm-hmm. hopefully, it's going to be more of a battle, and it won't just be people just easily giving in and just dumping everything on streaming, where it all just gets combined mm-hmm. into like this one hodgepodge of content sludge, you know. Yeah, but, and I just yeah. want to bring up something really quickly. Um, Chris Stuckman put out his review for the uh, Taylor Swift Eras tour. You know, I'm going to like Chris Stuckman went to go see the Eras tour, which I love. But he said that, you know, with the idea of streaming services, you know, caused, you know, a ruckus because Taylor Swift worked with, worked with movie theaters because she created something like a theater experience. Like, right. This is reminding me of like what we're even discussing. Like Netflix is now in fear because people are going to start to go back to the movies because people want to experience a 
phenomenon in a pop culture event. Because, I mean, look at what we had a couple of months ago with Barbenheimer. And Barbie is just going to be coming out to HBO Max. And it's still playing in theaters. Oppenheimer won't probably won't be available on streaming until like Christmas. Yeah, so, they're not going to put that out on streaming in no. any way, shape, or form until that movie hits a billion dollars. They are, yeah, they, they are going to make so, sure that movie hits to a billion. Go off of what you're saying a little bit. The people like the streaming stuff are scared, and I think now what we are talking about, there's a lot of factors now that are going into play since we are having the strike now. I, I know I don't want to be right. bringing up the strike well, now. Well, well, but, the, but, but it's still relevant because the actors are still on strike. And I'll add, I'll add one more point to that as well. It's the fact that the streamers are even more scared because they're losing money. Because mm -hmm. Wall Street Just, turned around and said, "Hey, we've you you know you've been funneling uh, nonstop money into these yep. for years. It's time to show some profits." And they're like, "Well, shit." Now we yeah, have to like have to start actually, like investing in good content that will actually get subscribers and actually and, show our numbers and do yeah. all that's the stuff well, that people well, are I mean, asking for and they're well, gonna be well, like well, 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 the, well the transparency they're still they're 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 never gonna hedge on that no. but um yeah no I'm, I'm I'm with you there entirely uh entirely you know and uh, honestly like I said it, I'm I'm glad that that people are finally seeming to come back to movies exactly uh, you know and uh, and that the streamers are running scared because they should be. Um, because they've been delivering us with nothing but garbage for years now. And the fact that the economy is finally going to course correct them and force them into actually investing and putting out good stuff that actually makes people mm -hmm. watch it. As well as the fact that they're also going to make more of a concerted effort to put movies back in the theaters. I'm not talking about Netflix, but I'm talking about the rest of the services as well. And then try to use that and then rely on their back catalog for streaming. Because yeah. that's the other good thing too is that Barbenheimer, obviously, it makes all its money in theaters, and then the fact that it goes to a streaming service, you know, which will in turn get even more eyes on that. I, it, it's just, it's a win-win. They need to learn to work in tandem with movies because there are just still so many factors that people are finally starting to realize about movie theaters that just streaming and watching things at home does not have. Yes, absolutely. The, mm -hmm. the theaters lost a lot of people during COVID that will never, ever go back to theaters. But if Barbenheimer says anything, there are still a lot of people that wanted to go back. And finally, are after years of complaining mm -hmm. or being given enough incentive to go back, but they still need more. It's still a never-ending effort. Yeah. That and I will just say going yes. into – I'm just going to pivot off of this too. I think – Slowly, Apple's starting to realize that because we're oh, they, 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 they're, they're the first that ones that killers of yeah. the flower moon. We're getting Napoleon, yeah, we're getting the uh, uh, Ar Argyle movie with Henry yep. Cavill. So they are learning, they're yeah. learning, they are it's learning. Just they got to work. The other streamers might have to like take, yeah, notes. the other streamers so. have to work as well. Exactly, you know. Again, I still have no understanding of why Apple even needs a streaming service, but fuck it, they have yeah. the money and all their stuff is for the most part been good. So I'm not exactly complaining now. As for the movies that I saw at the festival, I'll kind of give the speed through for each one. May, December, directed by Todd Haynes, which is the story of an actress who is studying a role that is based off of a very famous former soap opera star who had an affair with her significantly younger co-star and ended up marrying him. The film stars Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and Charles Melton. Uh, Charles Melton, actually, fun fact, who actually went through the same, um, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, the same uh, talent showcase that I went through as well. Uh, applause Rising Talent. Uh, which got him eventually into Bad Boys for Life. So congrats to him. This is a movie that feels like it should be seething with uh, with, with, with sexual tension uh, brimming. <laughs> you know, all these characters are very interesting. They're very methodical. They all have different layers of moral gray areas, you know, especially when you come to realize that, you know, as they are waking up to their, uh, their, their inner demons, you know, the fact that, you know, right. they, they're kind of just all operating under the pretense that everything that happened in the past is kind of just okay and that there was no wrongdoing and they're kind of like all slowly starting to wake up to the idea that no there was some serious wrong committed here all that stuff is good but it's just the fact that nothing really ends up coming from it the movie ends like there's no like crazy revelations or anything that we didn't already know of you know like it, it's kind of just a bunch of characters that are just kind of interacting and kind of just slowly losing their minds getting more and more twisted you never know it's like oh is Natalie Portman gonna get like into a thing with Juliet Moore whatnot is there some judgment going on and the Probably nothing really ever comes of it, and it ends literally with Natalie Portman just assuming the role. I don't want to know too too much details because okay. I'm seeing this shortly. Well, well, the, well, the, well, I guess the best thing that I can say about it is that it's got good cinematography and good performances, and there are some images in there that will definitely be haunted. There's this one image where it's like it shows the camera looking up at Natalie Portman, and you don't know if she's doing a certain thing or whatnot. But oh, yeah, no. it, it, it's just like, it, it, it's, it's like I said, this is only the second Todd Haynes film that I've seen after Carol, which again, Todd Haynes to me seems to specialize in making just scintillating, 
uh, right on the cusp of something happening and then just pulling back and not actually showing anything happening. And for people who like that, that's great. For me, that's not my cup of tea, unfortunately. Ah. Um, I only ended up giving this one. I think I gave this like a three out of five total. Okay. Um, and then moving on to Ferrari from Michael Mann again, Michael Mann, he's, he's my guy. He's been one of the most iconic and, 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 uh, and influential filmmakers of the last 30 years with obviously his efforts, like last the Mohicans, like thief, like heat, like collateral, like the insider, um, so many different incredible influential movies. He's a genre filmmaker. First and foremost, he, uh, you know, unlike a lot of these other filmmakers who kind of are attempting to just put their stamp on like, you know, different sorts of personal stories. Like Michael Mann is a genre filmmaker at first. And this movie Ferrari should have been everything that I would have loved. It's a biopic. It's a movie that involves car racing. It's a movie about a very, very morally great character. You know, like there are some questionable things that this, that, 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 that Adam drivers Enzo Ferrari does in the movie. You know, it does that thing where again, they're speaking, um, there's instead of like, despite them being in a non-English speaking country, primarily, they are still all speaking English just with very heavy accents. And it doesn't really make any sense. And that's just a nitpick that I've started to notice in movies that I, that I don't necessarily know if I'm a tremendous fan of anymore. Uh, is that because of like something like a house of Gucci scenario? Or well, no? house of Gucci just <laughs> ruined so many different things for me, but it also helps that house of Gucci was, was set in a little bit in, in New York as well as Italy. It wasn't entirely set in Italy like this movie. So as offensive as that movie was in all other aspects, in a weird way, that was one of the few instances where it wasn't, even though the accents to that were just... Oh my god, why? This why is just that? ironic too that I bring this up because Adam Driver well, wasn't mad. You know what's funny about that? I'm glad that you brought that up because I was thinking when I was watching it, I'm like, <laughs> oh god, not again. Adam Driver in Italy. They just they don't mesh. They don't but I, I, I don't want to take anything away from it because Driver does give a legitimately incredible performance. He is fun. Him and Penelope Cruz are both phenomenal in this movie. That dynamic, the back and forth that goes between them, especially once you realize why there is so much tension between them, is just tantalizing. If anything, I will say that all the other actors in this movie, which this movie does demonstrate a pretty good cash, Aileen Woodley's in this, Patrick Dempsey's in this, all the supporting bit part players, they all do a really good job. The performances in this movie are incredible. The cinematography is off the chain good. There's one harrowing sequence in the final race in the movie that is unlike anything that I have ever seen before. And it just goes to what a craftsman Michael Mann it and his team are in general. With that being said, man, just again, what a hollow feeling movie. What a movie that just, I just, I was grasping. I was trying to get something to connect right. to. And I just, I just couldn't, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, he's a man who definitely sees people as being expendable. That's what I got from this movie, you know, but it never amounted to really anything satisfying, right. you know? Okay. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, okay, he lost the company and then got some more like, like that to me, it, it wasn't an interesting enough character study. It was, it wasn't an interesting and self-fulfilling enough character study. And the business side of things wasn't interesting and engaging enough either, you know, in order to distract me. So the fact that it was kind of flailing on both those fronts and all that it had going for was the cinematography. Unfortunately, that's kind yeah. of, it, it made for another lackluster experience. Again, another, I, I gave this one slightly more props for the cinematography. Okay. I gave it three and a half out of five, but then okay. that brings us to today's screening. Sophia Coppola's Priscilla. <laughs> which is a movie that people have been touting. They're like, yes, this is going to be a big Oscar moment. Jake Lordy, he's finally hitting his movie star status. He's got this. He's got Saltburn. He already got cast in Paul Schrader's next movie. He's got a bunch of other movies lined up. This is going to be it. And I already know that the Elvis comparisons are going to come from this movie because, again, the mm -hmm. fact that this movie opened up literally not even a year after, um, literally Elvis. not even a year after Elvis. And the fact that they... Almost kind of intention, uh, and the fact that I still don't know the intentionality of that was, but throughout this entire movie, the only thing that I was thinking, and so this should uh, this should put this in perspective. This movie was the shortest movie of the festival. It was an hour and forty three minutes total. Yeah, it's very very short. It's very short. Did not feel like it. It felt like two hours. And after a certain point, I was like, okay, when is this gonna end? I, I was doing <laughs> the thing. I was looking at my watch. I'm like, when is this gonna end? After a certain point, because literally the fact that throughout the entire movie, I'm just thinking like, okay. Sophia saw Elvis, was like, okay, I'm not letting them get away with this. I can't let them make another fucking jukebox musical that just makes Elvis look like another poor soul that just got taken advantage of. This guy had some dirt on him. He this guy definitely definitely wasn't, wasn't the best husband. He wasn't the best father. He was definitely probably a little abusive. I got to show that. And that would have been all fine and good if not for the fact that Jacob Elordi was acting circles 
around Kaylee Spady. Like, circles. I mean, and it doesn't help that the man is like six foot five, so he towers over everybody else in the frame. That man is freakishly tall. I, I, I can't, like, you've seen how tall I am. The fact that yes, I you am are tall. The fact that I am acknowledging how you tall that is. Jacob and Lordy have to have like a height off or something. Seriously. Like, like the fact that I am acknowledging how tall this motherfucker is should tell you, like, should give you an idea. And the lead actress, though, the actress who plays uh, Priscilla in this movie is Kaylee Spaney, who has been, I will say it has been questionable to me how the hell she has been getting the parts that she has gotten. This is an actress that appeared mm-hmm. in Pacific Rim Uprising, one of the one of the one of the worst sequels in recent memory. And so just the fact that that movie exists and the fact that they didn't wait and let Guillermo del Toro come back to direct the sequel is embarrassing, yeah. to say the least. So she was in that. And then a couple months later, she's in Bad Times the Old Royale. Really good movie. I really yeah, like it. I, I I have rewatched it recently. It still holds up. That movie's really good. And I think I kind of got a little bit it. of a bad rap. Drew Goddard. Like, where has he been mm-hmm. the last couple of years? Uh, and it's safe to say that there's a reason why they didn't have her speak for most of that movie. She kind of just like mumbles and says some like weird stuff. And then I mean, she appears- to she looks like Priscilla. So. True. I'll, I'll give her the looks wise, but again, like I, I give that also credit for makeup. And then the last thing I saw her in was 2020's Devs, which Alice Garland is such a talented uh, filmmaker that he could make, you know, a, a, a pile of flour have have some character to it, you know. And I have to say that for a movie that was trying so hard to be like the inverse of Elvis, this movie is not poppy. This movie is not flashy. This movie is very reserved. It is like Sofia Coppola. It is very artistically decorated it is very aesthetically pleasing it is very boutique ish you know every 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 bit every bit of uh every bit of um every bit of detail about the style you know especially of the movie it was very well thought out you know it's a very uh impressionable movie to the eye to say the least but again similar to may december similar to, to ferrari again the thing that all three of these movies have in common it's all style and just nothing underneath there's not a single mm-hmm. Frame, not a single minute of this movie that I was even a little bit surprised. You know, I think the I I think probably the most engaged that I was was the opening couple of minutes when she first meets him and when she first like starts going around it. But like the way that they're essentially portraying a very what what it turns out was a very predatory relationship. But oh, like, extremely. But, like, trying to make it seem like, oh, these are like the other, like the cute edges. This is how they fell in love and all of that. Like. That was all cool and, and 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 all, but the fact that it's like I don't know, there just there has to be something extra. There has to be a little bit something more to lock me in, you know. Okay. And the fact that it felt like I was watching a paint by numbers biopic, you know, like say what you will about Elvis, but at the very least, and again, I'm really showing my hand here as far as being the bro that I am, had yes. that I'm wearing. At the very least, problematic as that movie was. That movie was entertaining as hell. I can't I mean, say that I came out of that movie having yeah. a bad time. I had a headache. I didn't like it all when I was watching. And I, I was know. laughing a lot at just some of the absolute I can ridiculousness. My thoughts are pretty much the same about, yeah. oh, it's not a that, fan. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. That movie was entertaining as hell, though. It was so ridiculous to me how that movie had one of the best performances I've ever seen combined with one of the worst performances I've ever seen <laughs> with Colonel Parker. But so to put this in perspective, this is a movie that, despite having Elvis Presley as a character, does not actually have any Elvis music playing. This is a Which movie is also, interesting. This also is a movie that does not feature the Colonel Tom Parker at all, who, as we know, is a very, very important yeah, figure in figure. Elvis's life, yeah. you know? And... The fact that, like, Priscilla Presley, the entire movie is basically just presenting her as being in a cage. And I'm like, okay, I get that after about 20, 30 minutes. And then after a while, it's just like a repeating montage of, like, you know, Elvis just playing with his boys and just treating her like the trophy wife she is. And, like, Mm -hmm. she's trying to, like, adjust to it. And finally, at the ending, when it's like, we should finally be, like, being satisfied and happy for her. Being like, yes, she's starting to escape, you know, as Elvis is starting to waste away. I mean, I think that I, I think that the the, the the reasoning and the and the reason why this coming out so soon after Elvis is gonna work against it is because we're already kind of sympathetic to like how shitty it was that Elvis died. So just seeing him like, okay, now this is a version of Elvis that like doesn't deserve to die, but like we're definitely a lot less sympathetic to him this time around than we are this first time around. And again, I wouldn't care if we had a better and more interesting actress playing Priscilla, but it is okay. the fact that Jacob Elordi is so fucking charismatic in every frame. And, but here's what brings it back to my other big problem. And I'm really glad that we're getting a chance to talk about this now because I am really, really, it, it peeves me when an actor makes a big breakout role 
as one thing. And then pretty much every other director that casts him in things goes out of their way to be like, oh, you're just going to be this character forever. Because there were points in this when I was watching this where I'm like, I know he sounds like Elvis. I know he's supposed to be playing Elvis. But I'm seeing Nate Jacobs here. Nate you Jacobs. Not kissing Booth. Then. I just... I, I, no, not, not kissing Booth. No, no, no. no. There's a reason why I said Nate Jacobs. Not Alordi. <laughs> Nate Jacobs. There is literally a scene, I am not kidding, where he freaking throws a chair at her. She ducks misses and then of course this thing was like oh i'm so sorry baby i'm so sorry and was doing the <laughs> thing, and I'm like, oh my fucking god come on like what that, mean, that means i gotta see this austin butler or jacob <laughs> austin butler or jacob Alori. listen i'm already surprised the memes haven't been made yet but you know what that's because it hasn't opened wide yet when the movie opens wide we'll see it we'll also see what kind of marketing a24 gives this you know so out of these three movies i can safely say that Definitely acting nominations going around for all of them. Um, I definitely even a lordy, even a lordy, yes. But that, but here's the thing: is that a lordy will get nominated, but probably not for this movie. He's gonna get nominated for Saltburn because the fact that he okay. has the one-two punch here, it's like okay, he's gonna get nominated for something. It's just a matter of what's gonna get more attention. Um, Adam, as, as far as uh, you know, Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, uh, Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore. It's like it, you have the one-two punch for each of these movies. But I guess the my my closing thoughts are that again, while these performances are all incredible, and while they are all great acting showcases, I can't say that these are going to be movies that I'm going to want to go back and watch anytime soon. I okay. don't know how much standing value they're going to have as movies in general, and just for my own personal taste, they're just they're not my kinds of movies, unfortunately. You know, which yeah. obviously is probably the biggest thing that they have going against them. But listen, you can always impress me with a different kind of a movie if the writing is good enough. You know, and it just I just didn't feel like it was it was there for me. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I I just hope to talk to you about May December once I see it next weekend. Yes. So uh And like I said, if you think that I'm crazy when you watch all these movies, like when you watch all these movies and you're like, wow, I, I don't understand what Dom was talking about, why he was <laughs> like these, whatever, by all means, feel free. I love I'm, getting shot on. I love I no, love no, no, disagree no, with me with movies, you know. As someone who studied like Todd Haynes and people like Sophia Coppola like extensively in college and right. even into graduate school, like I'm just like so curious because it's it's been a moment since they both released a movie. Right. So Their last just... movies were literally well, I mean, Sophia hers was the most recent. It was only three years ago on Apple. But Todd it's Haynes still, hasn't like... released a movie. I mean, he had the Velvet Underground documentary, but he hasn't released a narrative film, I think, since Carol, Carol's... which was eight years ago. So yeah. yeah. Ironically it's... enough, the same year that the last Michael Mann movie came out. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. So yeah, absolutely. So with that being said. Let's move on to some let's move on to ironically, speaking of Netflix, you know, let's move on to this movie dropped on Netflix last week, but we're finally going to chance to talk about it this week. Fair play. Yay. Oh man. I have been waiting. I, I mean, cause you saw this first, right? No, I wish I got to see this at Sundance. Everyone thought I got to see it, but I was like, no, yeah, I, I was one of the unlucky people who didn't get to see it. Cause I, Thank Dark Waters then... 2019. Forgot about it. That's right. He did that. <laughs> Completely forgot about it. And again, that was another movie. That was another fucking movie that screamed Oscar the movie. And it got nothing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I forgot about Dark Waters. I forgot about Damn. Dark Waters, too. Maybe Don Hayes isn't as good of a filmmaker as everybody says he is. May I mean... Maybe he has to. He teamed up with Julianne Moore again. That's yeah, why. Yeah, he's been working with Julianne Moore a long time. But listen, nobody but anyways, listen. Nobody will ever be able to get the type of performance out of her that Paul Thomas Anderson did. So no. I'm going to leave oh, it at that. Definitely. I'm going to leave it at that. But anyway, so yes, fair play. Your thoughts first, because I don't remember where who I saw posting about this movie first. It might have been you, but I remember this movie was getting rave reviews out of Sundance, and I wanted to watch it, and I never got a chance. And I saw Netflix was picking it up, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be the movie to look out for. This is going to be the On the Count of Three. This is going to be the When You Finish Saving the World, which I still have not gotten a chance yeah. to see. I'm like, this is going to be the movie. This is going to be Dakota, right? Which which yeah. killed it at Sundance then went on to win best picture you know i'm like this is gonna be it and i watched it and man this was everything i could have wanted and this more is the film i would love to see nominated at this year's oscars yes. to yes. be fair where it's got that where you just said it's got that coda hype but unfortunately i don't think that's what's going to be considered yes. because of what we have like with but the also just from the netflix eye side because netflix is going to push yeah. maestro Hard. hard yeah hard. and they could even push a film like made december hard because of the name talent of julianne moore and, and natalie, natalie portman which will probably I mean, more than likely get them both acting nominations although it would be really funny if they did it but anyway yeah, i mean i think phoebe and alden emmerich yes. give uh, some yeah. of the best toxic chemistry that i've seen 
all year where it's like they both battle off of each other with their anger. Like the whole movie first starts off like a really nice romance movie, like where they're in love. And then all of a sudden, like 20 minutes into the film, it turns haywire and you are in this crazy abusive relationship ride it's like you can't even control your thoughts of like what like you're like questioning yourself what is this happening why is this happening why are they together and it's so entertaining and i'm so happy this premiered at sundance and to be fair i know netflix bought it but this is not technically a Netflix right, original. right. That, that's the so I, I thought it was say, the, the MRC logo. Yes. That, you know, net, maybe the you know, Netflix original movies aren't that great. And <laughs> that's why they have to go to Sundance. So I well that well that them. and also it's the fact that like every single Netflix original movie is great, not because of Netflix, but because of the filmmakers. The talent that they, that they can get give because they will actually give these massive filmmakers, you know, again, Florent Les Quaron, Spike Lee, Jane Campion, Scorsese. David Fincher, obviously, you know, uh, and Owens made a movie for them, you know, so like now Wes Anderson did all those short films. Yep, and Wes now, Anderson with the uh, short Bradley films. Cooper, Bradley with Cooper them. Is, it's is like everybody's plug. exactly everyone's no. going for that. But this is the type of success story for a movie that I love. Again, this, this mm-hmm. is the first time filmmaker based on Adam McKay. Exactly. Thank you, Dustin. Um, What's it called? Uh, a couple more comments. Dustin, all that is three for three for me this year. He's really killing it. He's Leo meets Jack of his generation between this yeah. Oppenheimer. Oh and also, gosh, let us not yeah. forget the funniest movie so far this year, Cocaine Bear, easily. Um, I but- mean, I talk Cocaine Bear, but I will take uh, this all Alden over anything. Exactly. Like because I forgive him. Well, I, 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 know, I, I like him in Solo, but dude, I will forgive him for that. Listen, listen, I, I, think, I think it's safe to say that Alden has redeemed himself from Solo, and then that movie just didn't... The fact that he was the best part about this movie, despite that mm-hmm. movie giving him nothing to work with, should show absolutely yeah. his talent, for sure. And the fact that, again, it's like this movie, to me, has everything that was lacking from all the movies that I saw at the film festival this year. It just it, it gives the actors so much juicy stuff to work with. The story itself is engaging. The characters mm-hmm. are engaging. There's not a single minute that you can look away. It breaks all the traditional streaming molds of it. It's like, okay, every minute you want to look away. Every minute mm-hmm. you want to pick up your phone. There's just something else crazy that comes in and just absolutely locks you in, you know? He's the, just talking about Alden, he's also the best part of probably the worst Coen Brothers movie that I've ever seen, Hell Caesar, which is a movie that really mm-hmm, should have been one of the best, but what should have been fantastic. It just wasn't. And the fact yeah, that he basically absolutely. carried every single scene that he was in. He did. kind of amazing and hilarious. He's going toe to toe with people like Ray Fiennes and George Clooney. Channing Tatum too. Remember, he was in there. killing it and absolutely killing it. But I, but as good as he is in this movie, I really got to give a shout out because this really is a one-two punch. This is a boxing match. This is a dance. This is a ballet. This is a one-two. This is a two-person act because it would not work without mm-hmm. someone like Phoebe Denifer, who I had not seen in anything. I had not watched no, her again. I had not seen her in anything. Same, and the right? fact that she pulls off and kicks ass with pretty much every single scene. This, this is a tough part. She's got more of like the meaty part, really. The, she's got really got. I mean, I would say he's got the more difficult part, but she's got the more meteor entertaining part because she's the one that gets the promotion. She's the one that's got to play face with all the guys. She's the one that's got to come home drunk. It's like this movie works on so many different levels because it's a reverse of it's a reverse. It's an expectations reversal movie where you have this movie about this couple who works in this very prestigious, you know, cutthroat uh, law firm. You know, this all the best stuff that we love about shows like industry and. You have it where he's been prepping, he's been waiting, he's gonna get this promotion to PM, uh, and, and then she gets it over him, mm-hmm. and it like it's basically just how it leads from one thing to another, where it's like wow, like you can see like the look of just loss on his face, and just how he absolutely and crumbles and, and defeat, just defeat, and how, how it just goes destroys their relationship, despite the fact that she is still trying to keep this thing alive, but mm-hmm. slowly starts to realize like, that's the thing is that it, it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy for this movie to vilify her and make her seem like, oh, I was really just playing him the whole time. I didn't really need him. But no, the fact that she no. tries to stick it out with him, that she is still genuinely in love with him, and the fact that he just She's rooting for the, the relationship right. to work out, right. and she wants to help him su- exactly. just to succeed in this business, even though her like boss is like, we find out later in the film, was hired as like a pity hire right. and was like, you know... He's not really that good. We're just waiting to see him quit, you right. know? And exactly. it's like, you know, she's the one who's got the work ethic and the attitude and everything that they want. 
Yeah. Even though he's calling her out, like, he's like, oh, she's a woman and blah, 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 blah. Right. Kind of like all this talk we are spilling nowadays that's in a lot of work culture. Right. It's just, it's, it's, it's talking and commenting on so many things. It's talking about toxic workplaces. It's talking about, uh, and how that affects relationships. It's talking about role reversal expectations and relationships. It's mm -hmm. talking about, um, I, I, again, how like perceived different levels of hierarchy can affect certain relationships. You know, how, how so many of these things, especially obviously if one feels undervalued and in this case emasculated, how that can really just take a toll and ultimately how not only do they end up falling apart but it ends up she that they end up she ends up becoming everything that it is that he thought that she was when in reality she wasn't you know because there's mm -hmm. so much jealousy and tension that goes under it for things that really don't happen but they're letting it all get to them oh it's just it's so psychologically dripping and juicy this is the type of movie to me that david fincher would have been all up in like a oh, definitely. Ago, you know, like honestly, because it like, gives me like Gone Girl vibes, yes. Emerald Fennel vibes. Yes. Like I it's, said, it's, this it's like got all in the my best review, Gone Girl, it's... Promising Young Woman, Industry, all the, the all like the crazy. And toxic it's even got a little love. vibes of Succession, like a little yes. like little not, vibes, not but as like much not it's as not much as funny. But not, yeah. I see where you're coming from, though. But like where I see it, it was Tom and um, oh my god, uh, what's her face? Uh oh, shit. Shiv, yes, thank yes, you. Tom and Shiv. Yeah, just yes. their relationship, just how they're just, yes. you know. Tom like and they're... Shiv, but if Shiv was actually like a sympathetic character. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but th th this movie, it was it was just, it was an absolute blast. I loved every single minute of it. I started watching it. I was waiting for the moment that it dropped on Netflix. I watched it the, the weekend that it came out last mm -hmm. weekend. Loved every single minute of it. Could not stop watching until the very end. And this is a two-hour movie, and it locks you in until the very Absolutely. end. Absolutely. One of the craziest ending scenes I've ever seen Definitely. of and any it, movie in general. People said it was like, and I could see it being a problematic, but I understand why the director chose and the yes. story decides to take necessary. that route. It was it's necessary. necessary. Just yes. like we said, it's necessary. And I sat back, and I was thinking about it about 10 minutes after I finished. I was cleaning up, you know, after watching yeah. the movie, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense why that yeah. happens. It, yeah. it just like I was like flabbergasted. I was impressed by it, like the nerve it took. Like it's a very daring ending and yes. it, it is problematic. I don't want to say what happens, but the events that lead up to it says it's why yes. it does it's, that. it's also it's another instance of where like this in, in, in the hands of a lesser filmmaker again it would be so easy for these characters to be so easily vilified and so easily blamed for the actions that they partake in this movie and the fact that you you are able to still root for and go along with them every step of the way and understand the decisions that they're making because of the position that they have both respectively found themselves in that is just a mark of just excellent writing. Chloe Dumont, like, my, my hat's off. Easily the breakout debut filmmaking effort of the year without Definitely. question. I, I haven't seen a movie that gripped me like see... this at all this year, from, from not from a feature first-time mm -hmm. filmmaker. I would love to see this get nominated for when it hits, like, the indie spirit route, when yes. the film independent yes. spirit route gets its recognition. I definitely see it that with its direction and screenplay. I feel like... If anything, if this movie is going to get any Oscar contention besides the performance, it, it definitely needs original screenplay. If this does not get an original screenplay nomination, at the very least, again, there's going to be that movie again that we all love. That all of us sit, that all of us people are be like, yes, we want more movies like this, and it's going to get completely ignored. Um, this movie, at the very least, needs original screenplay mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. This, this is this was this is probably other than Oppenheimer. This is probably the easiest five stars that I've given. I'll put it this mm -hmm. way: this is an easier five stars to give out than Oppenheimer was. Wow. Oppenheimer, and I'll tell you why: because that last hour of Oppenheimer tested me. It tested. I mean, me. It, and I you know, knowing the runtime for that. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, it could test a lot. But, of, but again, you know, I love it just as much as anybody no, else. No, no, but, but again, it's like, but that's not even an excuse because look, look at Wolf of Wall Street. Like the idea of a three-hour runtime not being attainable for a film, I don't buy into it it all has to do with the storytelling you know mm -hmm. so that, that that's where it comes out to be yeah easiest five stars that i've given out to same a i year. gave the film year. a 10 out of 10 on my a plus rating on my review stuff so i was very pleased i was very happy that like i wish i got to see it at sundance because i i think from what i remember they only did this in person this film i think I don't remember. I think they did, yeah. Because I remember I was looking for a virtual screening and they didn't have and, one. Yeah, and I was like, I got pretty much everything else that I wanted to get, but this one was definitely one of the ones I didn't get to see. Yeah. And I yeah. was very disappointed because uh, some of the other films I saw at Sundance were like, meh. 
But this yeah. one, if I definitely saw this, would have really been like the perfect Sundance film. Yeah, no, me. I agree entirely, wholeheartedly. So with that being said, we have one more thing to cover before we wrap up this podcast and get out of here for the night and leave you all to enjoy your spooky seasonings, which is, of course, the Shocktober entry. You know, like I said, we've been doing, Chris and I have been doing Shocktober pretty much since we started this podcast. And I like to keep the tradition alive a little bit somewhat. We didn't really get a chance to do it last year. We did a Halloween special and we also covered Halloween ends that dropped directly on Peacock. But that was mostly like, yeah, let's just, let's just put this fucking fright to bed already, you know? <laughs> Let, 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 let's get done with this. But Put Michael to bed. For, for real. Let, let, and they did, finally. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see if he actually says that. But um, yeah, so uh, that brings us into our shots over Andrew. We did Exorcist last week, and we're doing this week. It is uh, Netflix and Mike Flanagan. You know, Mike Flanagan is a filmmaker who has really been making the rounds these last couple of years. No, he really he had been directing uh, independent movies for Blum, uh, for Blumhouse, and, and basically being known as the guy who would come in and save really bad horror franchises. Like he he made the the good Ouija C prequel, Ouija Origin Origin of Evil. He made movies like Hush. He made movies uh, and Oculus. And he also did an Annabelle movie, I believe, that was actually good. But he really makes a big breakout with his Netflix miniseries, uh, Haunting of Hill House. And he basically becomes known as the guy who makes, like, horror miniseries that are also, like, really showcases for uh, family drama and yeah. whatnot for ensemble cast and religious allegories in this case. You know, he does Haunting of Hill House in 2018. He continues it with... Um, he continues it with um with 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 uh with with Haunting of Bly Manor in 2020 and Midnight Mass in 2021 and the um the Midnight Book Club uh last year. He also yeah. directed a couple of movies in between. He directed Gerald's Game. He was uh, finally the other guy besides Stanley Kubrick and Frank Darabont that was able to crack the code on making actual good Stephen King adaptations. And uh, he also directed a Doctor Sleep, which is a movie that should I not have worked. That. Should not have worked, but ended up being one of the best movies I saw in, in fall of 2019, which is already a loaded uh, gangbusters year. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, and this is his most recent effort, the, haunt, the, the Fall of the House of Usher, which a lot of people describe as like Mike Flanagan's take on succession. I think that's a little bit of a, of a of a of a I, I think that's that that's undercutting this a little bit in his own style because I think to compare this to something like Succession is really unfair and and doesn't do as good a service to it. This basically demonstrates everything that you love about Michael Mann. It's got the monologues, it's got the massive ensemble cast, it's got kind of like his you know he's kind of developed his his uh his his group of, of players that will come in and act for him. You know it's got Kate Siegel his wife in it. It's got Bruce Greenwood who he's worked with a lot. It's got um you know Henry Thomas who I believe is collaborating Mark with him. Mark Hamill appears in this been. from Mark what I Hamill remember. Is in this, um, so my, uh, Carl Lumley is in this. Mary McDonald is in this. A bunch of other people that have, that have worked with him. Uh, Rahul Kotil, um, uh, Tania Miller. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I'm forgetting a bunch of people. Uh, a lot of lot of people that have worked with. There's a big cast. I believe this is the biggest cast that he's worked with. And I think that the genius that he pulls off here is. So this is famously based on. So while it's not a direct adaptation of any of Edgar Allan Poe's. Uh, works. It is a loose adaptation of each of his stories. Each of this, each of the episodes of this eight-part miniseries are named after one of the Edgar Allan Poe short stories. And this kind of ends up being not so much a scary movie, uh, a scary premise. You know, the, the, I, I think the genius of Mike Flanagan in the past has been that he is able to take what otherwise would have traditionally been hacked up and cut up into jump stairs and just letting the scenes play out, having much more of a, wow, your dog is just like really just like going for like the one yeah, of the ways to plot. And yeah, that's kind of impressive I'm so almost. sorry for oh, that. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. Listen, whenever, whenever pets come onto the screen, it's, it's always hilarious for me. So just the, the more the merrier, you know, capturing it live or something quite like it. But <laughs> what I was going to say is that, you know, basically like Michael... To, to, to put this in perspective, so Mike Flanagan takes the idea of like haunted houses and makes it about like family fa familial tragedy twice. He does it twice, which is kind of insane. Then he basically makes a modern day vampire story and uses it as an allegory for religious faith and cults and such. And he does that well. I, I the only one that I have not gotten a chance to watch is Midnight Book Club. I have not watched it. I do not know of anybody that watched it or really appreciated. But the few people who did watch it said that it's one of his lesser efforts. But here we have something that is basically trying to make a statement on capitalism and pharmaceuticals. It basically takes the idea of okay, what if a family that profited off of the deaths of millions of people, what if a lot some of that death came back and started to bite the family? And what you essentially have is something that any in any other instance would have played out like a comedic farce, where you have this the the, the head of this massively rich company who suffered tragedy in the past in his family and basically used that as an excuse to, to take over this massive pharmaceutical company. And now basically you have this specter that is basically coming around and basically essentially killing off each one of his six children, some of whom are legitimized, some of whom are not. And they all die in various and assorted different ways. And what you essentially have here is something that, again, in any other hands would be like a farce, like like because some of the deaths that happen are just so ridiculous and ludicrous and over the top the way that they're built up to. But because it's Mike Flanning and directing, 
It's just you buy into it. You understand it. You know, you understand, like, some of the grief. Again, these are probably some of the most despicable characters he's ever played with. You know, a lot of his characters have been pretty sympathetic in the past. You know, they, they've committed bad things, but they're looking to atone for it, you know, or they're just, you know, characters that were st struck with an unbelievable tragedy. But here, you have a set of characters that are really, quite frankly, getting what is coming to them, but in some of the most crazy, ridiculous, over-the-top ways possible. It's really enjoyable. It's really fun. I don't know if this is the best thing that he's directed yet. I haven't uh, I haven't finished it all, but just in comparison to all of his other, this is probably the most engaged of his stuff that I have been, you know? And as far as people who love good old-fashioned Mike Flanagan monologues, this is there. And as far as people who are, like, basically wanting, like, like Final Destination, but good and not campy, this is the show for you. Either. I'm excited for it because uh, as someone who enjoys mike flanagan's work and knowing what he has done over the last few years with horror and, and really has elevated it and i'm curious to see how he incorporates like you know the L edgar Allan poe vibes right and what the ex this extreme huge cast i'm very i was very excited when this project was announced i love the trailer and uh i just haven't gotten to watch it yet i was actually gonna watch it tonight after this podcast Right. I, so, I also think it's ironic that Carl Lumley is obviously in the show as kind of the he's kind of the guy that's trying to go after and take down the family. And Carl, but but the irony being that, uh, you know, so you know how Tony Todd famously plays the specter of death, who was in all the final destination. Movies. Right. Kind of every time he pops up, that's when you OK, you know, shit's about to hit the fan. All I'll say is every time that Carla Gugino pops up, it almost becomes comedic how often she pops up. And and, and, and and yet you are still surprised when the respective kids die in the way that they do. And this is sort of spoiler, by the way. They tell you in the first episode, yeah, all the kids die, you know. And it's just a matter Fair. of like of like flashing. It's holding like a series of flashbacks, two separate flashbacks. One in the modern day, which shows how all the adult kids each die in their respective parts, <laughs> and one of which is a flashback to the younger uh, versions of Bruce Greenwood and Mary McDonald's characters, who are the brother and sister that kind of, you know, the, the series revolves around um, and, uh, and and kind of showing how they kind of got to where they are. You know, so so it covers those two primary timelines. And like I said, it's got a great cast. It's really, really enjoyable. I, I very, very much heavily recommend it. For people Just remind me, how many yet. episodes are there? Like Only eight. Six or eight. Only that's eight. What I thought it was going to be eight. Yeah. Okay. It's not a ten. Like, like, haunt, like Haunting was ten. Bly Manor was nine. Midnight Mass was eight, but those episodes were – sorry, Midnight Mass was seven. That was the shortest one, but those episodes were so long. I just so couldn't get long. I really wanted to watch yeah uh, the it midnight seemed like it got club I did one. some reading I had yeah the midnight book club yeah yeah but I'm talking about midnight mass the one that the, yeah. the, the one the, the vampire one that he did right yeah and it's like I love vampires that move that show should have been made for me and I just that was another one I'm like it's too long and drawn out right okay so yeah that uh, unfortunately you know like I said it, they're not gonna win them all but Mike Flanagan again he's been winning but another thing that I saw the other the other day which is really sad is I think this is the last thing that Mike Flanagan made for his Netflix contract so I think this is it for him so we can either renew and keep making good stuff for them you know he seems to get a lot of success and a lot of traction from them or you know he he's hanging up go back else. to making movies who knows but I think it's safe to say that when it comes to one of the people who's the most respected right now and uh, when it comes to doing what he does best it is Mike Flanagan so I heavily recommend to go watch the fall of the house of usher go watch fair play Again, Netflix won the weekend. Again. Again. You know, and also I will be doing my recaps of Loki Season 2 as well as that drops. Because uh, I know that obviously people, even though they have pretty much lost all faith in Marvel, you know, the book has literally been written on the secret of Marvel success. Joanna Robinson's uh, The History of the MCU. Um, what, what's it called? Yeah. You know, Netflix and streaming. It wins the weekend again. But not next weekend. Next weekend, we've got a big one. Ultimately, the biggest movie that's coming to cinemas it is finally martin scorsese's killers of the flower moon we're doing it people finally the first scorsese movie that we've done in four years since 2019's Dang. the irishman which was famously one of the first ever things that we covered for the podcast oh when we first gosh. started oh man it's all coming back around it's all coming full circle we had a blast tonight. Kristen, thank you for joining me again for this latest installment of our spooky season of Shocktober. Thank you for once again hearing me rant and rave about what a bad festival Of course. I had. We're you wore your... Follow you oh, yes, I wore my bro yeah. hat again. I did it. And the irony being that I pulled a little bit of a trick on the people because while it looks like a bro hat from the front, it is really... It's I've been repping neon. Neon. Entire time. So I don't know yeah. how much of a trustworthy source. This episode is not sponsored by so neon. By neon by no. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know if I, how, how trustworthy of a source I am considering I... that, again, you know, this may have been being sponsored by Ferrari the whole time in order to generate buzz to make people actually go watch it when it comes out. Who knows? I don't know. But anyways, where can the good people follow you on the internet? I was just going to say you wore, you wore your film bro podcast uh 
outfit as your Halloween costume this year. <laughs> you did it early, but uh, the good people can follow me on Instagram at Miss Filmingo and on TikTok at Miss Filmingo. And there's all the other socials on my Instagram. And you can also follow me um, on my podcast. I co-host a podcast with one of my best friends, Mac. Uh, and Dom has been on. And it's a wonderful show. Uh, and we just recorded our Jennifer Lawrence episode. And that should be out soon. So, uh, yes. Thanks for having me on, Dom. Of course, anytime. Like I said, you're part of the Talking to You family, and I'm looking forward to being able to hop back on your guys' podcast for sure. Um, you guys can follow me with everything going on at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the official Talking TV podcast across all platforms, including if you're watching it right now on YouTube or streaming it live on Twitch. You can follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well, where this episode will be available to listen to tomorrow. And, of course, as always, people, you guys know it. I got to close every week with it. 12 seasons and a short film. And in this case, watch more fucking streaming movies if they're good. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.